We're back. Yeah. Hello, <laughs> listener. Uh, a few of you, maybe. It's been a bit. It has been a while, and um, we uh, we're glad to be here with you. Mm-hmm. Glad to be here with you. Glad to be here with Deobia. Yeah. Nice to see you again, Deobia. Nice to yep. see you again, uh, Aaron Broadmeyer, <laughs> David Spitz, and Amanda Pumpkins. <laughs> Yeah, if there's anyone still listening to this, it would be the, the four of you and Bobby Corrigan. Yeah, number five. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Thanks um, for sticking with us. Watch this podcast be the one that uh, just hits the hits the market and people go, wow, yeah. where have these guys been? <laughs> right. How have I not known about these guys? Like, wow. Hearing their yes. analysis of Altered States starring <laughs> yeah. William Hurt really drew me in. <laughs> Yeah, of all the movies we did, it's the uh, obscure 1980 film, Altered States, starring <laughs> William Hurt and a guy who looks like Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, Bob Balaban. <laughs> who, right. who was also in uh, Close Encounters. Was he really? Yeah, he was a Dreyfus co-star. I don't know how you could have both those guys in the same movie in that era. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I even looked at pictures from him from the movie, and he looked just like Dreyfus in that movie, too. <laughs> if Listener, if you know what we're talking about, you totally get it. Like, imagine Richard Dreyfus and Jaws, um, as well as Close Encounters, sort of the, like, tight-curled, dark-haired, bearded Richard Dreyfus, um, mm-hmm. because that's exactly what Bob Balaban looks like in Altered States. And his character, in fact, is is kind of a sidekick. Like, he's like the sidekick to the psychopath, basically. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> psychopath's probably not like, the right word but like the the mm. obsessive obsessive creative genius if you could call quint from jaws a creative genius yeah i could so, yeah so you're you're comparing william hurt in altered state to quint yeah yeah robert shaw robert shaw hey, that's your name by the way <laughs> i don't know listener if you know this sean has legally changed his name to shaw lawyer <laughs> Yeah, listener, I uh, I got an interview with a professor from Columbia named Carl Hart, published today, and um, the publisher, <laughs> they wrote down my name as Shaw, S-H-A-W, <laughs> lawyer, L-A-W-Y-O-R, which is <laughs> fantastic. It's amazing. My, my name, if you don't know me, is Sean, but <laughs> I actually think I prefer Shaw. Yeah, it... Um... When I read that, Sean, I my first thought was that is the name of a fantasy writer. You know, like I feel like a lot of fantasy novel writers have these names that are like <laughs> close to a, to a, like a standard or more typical name, um close enough that it's not so confusing, but like far enough away that it's like wow, only a fantasy writer could think of their own pen name like that. Can you think of any? Honestly, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think but the message is I need to become a fantasy writer. Yeah, yeah, and we're, I'm talking something name. real sexual. 
Um, right. Like something George yeah, not R. Like dragons. Yeah, not dragons. Just and sexual stuff. fantasy. <laughs> I didn't even think about it like that. But like instead of like yeah, dragons and elves, it's just literally like here's a novel and it's a sexual fantasy of my main character who just sits in his office all day at the job that he hates. <laughs> And here's here's his 300-page sexual fantasy that I'm going to write for you right now. I actually think that'd be hilarious. Sounds like it would make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. People like that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason why Game of Thrones is so popular. Yeah, it's, it's kind of got a catharsis element, Yeah, right? Like, I have not seen it still, and I mm-hmm. still probably won't ever watch it. Yeah. Um, but I heard it's like torture porn is how people have described some of it, which, you know, you don't have to agree with. I know, I know you're a fan, but like, is there, <laughs> there's, there's like an element where like exposition is given through like sexual situations a yeah, lot. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a very famous scene where this like character who owns a brothel is like explaining something while he's like telling these two like, uh, prostitutes that work in the brothel like what to do to each other it's very it's very weird and uncomfortable um hmm. not something i would want to watch with my grandma rita um but uh <laughs> apparently the books are even like worse and just real quick to go hmm. back yeah i'm i'm a fan and i i enjoy it but i'll tell you what um sean i hope you don't mind if i give a little something away about it that's okay yeah um Man, the the last two seasons of that show are bad enough to to make to almost retroactively make the rest of the series bad. Like that's how bad the last two seasons are. Last two seasons, like, I mean, were they man, ha- like half seasons? Yeah, each? I mean, yeah. They, they weren't they weren't trying to be. I just don't think they knew what to do. So they, I think they made mm-hmm. them. Normally, a season was ten episodes, and they made these seven or six or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some a big Game of Thrones fan was recently telling me that the last season was like the worst thing he's ever seen in his life. And it seems like that's kind of like the unanimous opinion, <laughs> like that it was really bad. Yeah. It was, it was so horrible. <laughs> just started like killing off characters for like no reason or something. And, like yeah. it was just lazy writing. It was just dumb. It was so dumb and so lazy. Um, cause some of the premise <laughs> of the show, so it is like that show in the early seasons did a really good job with the long burn of like developing a character over five seasons really intricately. And then everything in the last season was just like smashed together. And it was like, what the fuck is happening? It was very stupid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that um, the last season has retroactively made this the whole series worse. Yeah. Um, I remember Quentin Tarantino said that about the original Matrix that oh, yeah. he was doing like his top 20 movies of the decade or whatever. And um, he said the Matrix would have had a higher position on his list if it weren't for the next two, which like made him unable to see the first one. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. I, I remember seeing that interview with him and I remember even thinking like, that's not fair. Like, I don't, I don't buy into that, that kind of logic, Quentin. Um, but Quentin. I guess I do because that has happened to me with Game of Thrones, like to the point where, you know, it's, I think it's been over a year or so or something like that just about a year since the last season and i have not been able to bring myself to even want to watch any episode throughout the series or even like 
just search a random scene on YouTube because it's like scarred for me. Hmm. Reverse causation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that term. And I said yes to it, even though I don't, I don't fully know the nuances of it, but I think it works. Yeah. I mean, I used it and I don't understand it at all. I just remember <laughs> a really smart physics teacher was doing research ah. in that it's like an actual physical phenomenon that somehow our present experience can like have a causal relationship with the past. Really? Almost how, yeah. almost how the like six, six billion year old atoms carry with them a certain consciousness of memory that can be passed down to William Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's definitely ties into altered states yeah. and the complex science. This movie <laughs> promotes. That's a good way of putting it. It very much has a complex science. <laughs> and there's a certain point I feel like in watching this movie when you realize like, oh, this is going to go in the direction of the movie The Fly. Um, but mm. you don't quite – or at least for me, I didn't quite – I couldn't quite figure out how they were going to do it. Um, <laughs> and and I think they just went for it, which I, I must give them props <laughs> for that. Would you be able to describe to our listener what that that looks like, them just going for it in <laughs> altered states? Yeah, yeah. I'll describe it without giving any setup. And that, <laughs> uh, that is William Hurt. Uh, his character turns into a an ape, basically. <laughs> yeah. Turns into like a, a gorilla man. A gorilla man, yeah. Basically, like, did you ever watch the show um, Land of the Lost? Yeah, when I was a kid, yeah. I don't remember it much except I think like the theme song. Yeah, the theme song. Um, the whole premise of it actually very much scared me. The idea of getting lost hmm. in time and being unable to go back. Um, me too. The characters never seemed afraid, but I would have been so horrified. Um, it really terrified me. Basically, the only thing as a yeah, child in terms of media that terrified me more was Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. As we've talked about many times, <laughs> Donovan ages to, <laughs> yeah. to a skeleton for yes. drinking uh, the wrong grail. Uh huh. That arrogant <laughs> asshole. Um, she chooses poorly. Now, <laughs> I didn't quite catch that you were actually referencing the line. Uh, <laughs> but in Land of the Lost, they have this like sidekick that's like an ape man. It's like not. Not a gorilla, not a chimpanzee. It's like somewhere between like a, a what we imagine like a Neanderthal and a chimpanzee. So it's like half man, you know, basically what like uh, that famous skeleton Lucy probably was or something like that. Mm. Um, but so anyway, William Hurt turns into that after spending not that much time in a in a float tank in a sensory deprivation <laughs> chamber. <laughs> Yeah, he physically becomes an ape man yeah. and just emerges from that and wreaks havoc yeah. on people, including killing a man did, right away. Did he actually kill him? I, I think so. Um, I thought so too, but then yeah. no one cared. So Yeah, no one cared. <laughs> he, he even says so, like when he's recounting his memory of what happened when he thinks that it was just like a you know, hallucination, he's like, yeah. I killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did beat that man with his own club, like, yeah. on the ground over and over. For <laughs> the sure. The guy was not moving when he was done. No, no. Um, it was very he reminiscent. definitely killed that antelope. Oh, yeah. Definitely killed the antelope. <laughs> man, there was a lot of stuff going on in this movie that was very centralized around that era of of time. Um, 
One of them is like there was another movie called uh Werewolf, I think, with Jack Nicholson, where which hmm. apparently was based on a true story about a man who actually became a werewolf and like killed a deer one night or something. Um oh. I don't know. But uh there's Teen Wolf with MJ Fox. <laughs> yeah, Teen Wolf. One of the Do you remember how Teen Wolf ends? No. Well, uh, in the final scene in the in the basketball court, an extra pulled down his pants, revealing his penis. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember that? Are you aware of that? No. Yeah, and no one noticed it, and it's in the film. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. An extra standing in the stands at the basketball game is just like he just pulls down his pants. <laughs> he, <laughs> he pulls, pulls down, down his, his own pants. pants. He pulls down his own pants, <laughs> revealing. <laughs> revealing his own penis and no editor no one caught it and so it, it appears in the movie and you can even like it's i don't even think everyone knows about it because like i've seen the movie on tv before and i've been like oh i wonder if they edit out the moment the guy pulls down his own pants and they don't like it's still in there yeah that's like a pg movie isn't it yeah yeah you can look it up it's so easy to find that's that's amazing yeah yeah I think everyone's like, we have no idea who this guy was. Like, he was just an extra on set for one day. And he, he just pulled down his pants. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that guy, he must have, like, chosen to be an extra to do that. Like, that was his plan. And somehow yeah. it worked. <laughs> it's amazing it's really fascinating like a grown man i think so yeah like maybe not like old old but maybe like 20s or something that seems like deeply symbolic that it's in this movie about like a wolf man like this animal man it's yeah. just like there's some parallel there i know it's there is there is something there that makes it it wouldn't be as funny if it were any other movie <laughs> yeah and that's the part where like he plays basketball michael j fox and he's like mm -hmm. a full-on wolf at that point right like he's just like yep. a, a wolf mj fox yeah, yeah yeah i love it like that movie's so fucking funny that it's like he's like a wolf and like the bullies are like fuck you nerd it's like dude he's a wolf like how is how is everyone not just shocked out of their minds yeah was that this? That was probably early '80s, right, or mid '80s? Probably, maybe late, probably, maybe late. yeah. At the yeah, like I would say, like mid mid '80s at like the latest, probably. So there seems to be some like '80s thing about like the the wolf or like animal nature of like yeah. man, where they like physically become that in a and movie. Then you, and then you also have like Tron, which is like physically becoming a computer program. Hmm. Um. And then you have 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I feel like all these movies are almost re responding to in some way. Yeah, um, I thought about that a lot with this one. Me too. This one had it's a lot of... It's kind of like a... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say just had a lot of parallels between it. Yeah, and like the ending when they literally just copied it. <laughs> like, during all these like travel through space yes, time yes. images. Like, that. this is yeah. just the end of 2001. But like, apparently this lady is like going through this space to save william hurt who's like become a like clay monster man at this point <laughs> <laughs> that's right she's just like ah, ah. there's a lot of william hurt screams in this movie which uh -huh. i really enjoyed yeah um, i did too yeah 
But this, I felt like this was like the reverse 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like 2001 A Space Odyssey starts mm-hmm. with monkeys and shows like a progression from monkey <laughs> to man to astronaut to star baby. Yeah. And, and this is like the, the regression of Harvard right. psychiatrist to ape man to like clay abstraction in outer space back to <laughs> William Hurt like fireman. <laughs> yeah yeah when he touched his wife and she just became like a fire being i was like yeah. what the fuck yeah I felt yeah. bad for her i was like she didn't do anything like he just passed on his his weird uh ability to cross time and, and just turned her into like a, a, a like a basically a lava person <laughs> lava person yeah she was just like she was just yeah, screaming magma in yeah. human form yeah screaming yeah and he was just like banging walls transforming mm-hmm. <laughs> i really wonder what a listener's experience of this conversation would be who has no like, context for what we're talking about like it's probably god, sounds right. like the most insane shit god you're so right and, and it's funny because it, it is we decided to start at the end <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. but i don't really know even if i feel like the setup I, this is one of those movies where I feel like it would actually be more boring if you tried to set it up rationally. Like, great. If you need a little setup, William Hurt is really interested in – I don't even know. How would you describe what he's interested in? Cons- consciousness. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, it starts off with him like floating in this sensory deprivation like apparatus mm-hmm. and there's like nodes connected to his brain and – He's just like <laughs> he talks to his Hooper sidekick afterwards. He's like, <laughs> yeah, multiple like visual hallucinations and like several mystical experiences. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's like basically just using language that people talk about. Yeah, <laughs> like that. And he just becomes obsessed with like. Well, he's like researching schizophrenics apparently, but then that oh, just yeah. goes away. Yep, and they never mention that again. Yeah, it's just kind of mentioned at one point. And then there's just all these passing references to all these different drugs. And he's really interested in like inducing altered states of consciousness and like kind of wants to set no limit in how far he'll go. He's he's a psychonaut like Michael Pollan. <laughs> <laughs> What's that word? You, psychonaut? Psychonaut. Like, an, like a psychoastronaut kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's a term that's um, it's used quite frequently in this wow. in this psychedelic space. Does that mean like someone willing to travel into the unknown of the psyche or something? Yeah, to explore the the infinite vastness of consciousness. Wow, or unconsciousness to yeah. travel into the infinite unconscious mind or the collective unconscious. And I, I feel like that's kind of what William Hurt starts getting into. He's yeah. like, there's like an imprint of all of the history of our evolution in our brains and it's, I'm tapping into it. And he does like sensory deprivation and then he starts getting interested in drugs and he goes to Mexico to <laughs> experience a mushroom called Amanita muscaria. Hmm. And that's a real thing. Really? Um, yeah. It's probably the most like familiar looking psychedelic mushroom like it's said to have inspired uh alice in wonderland it's those kind of toadstools with the big red yeah top with like the white spots on it okay yeah yeah so that's what he goes to (laughs) experience and it's just this whole like shamanic Mm. ayahuasca (laughs) type of brew and (laughs) fireworks start exploding Uh and he maybe kills (laughs) a lizard 
Yeah, he maybe kills a lizard. <laughs> I like how, like, I thought that that scene was going to have, like, such a definitive, like, sensation of, like, this is a turning point in this story. But instead, that scene ends with him just, like, storming out of their village, being like, they don't even know if I killed the lizard. It's like, <laughs> yeah. why Why are we talking? Yeah, like, yeah. why are we talking about the lizard? Like, you just underwent this experience that is clearly going to shape the rest of the movie. Like, yeah. why is the lizard <laughs> even part of this conversation? Yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of stuff with lizards in that scene for yeah. uh, seemingly no reason. I mean, I can maybe they were connecting it to the doors because, like, the doors were on earlier in the movie. The song "Light My Fire" uh, and Jim Morrison was really into um, psychedelics and mm-hmm. like peyote and mescaline, and he called himself the Lizard King. Oh, really? That's the only connection I could possibly think of. But like, the lizards don't really make an appearance later in the movie. No. I also got a good kick out of the fact that, like, there were, you know, cave paintings with this Mexican, like, indigenous community. And, like, one of the paintings was a yin-yang. Oh, my God. I missed from that. China. I missed that. That's – oh, why did I miss that? That is so funny. It's just like – they just couldn't think of more symbols. <laughs> they probably had a yin-yang, too. Wow, that's that seems nothing to do with Taoism. Yeah, that seems so lazy. Like trying to like, huh? Like let's just think of a symbol. Like because yeah. we don't want to go through the research and figure out like what are some like Central American mythologies or something, right? We'll so just show like weird looking imagery and yeah. lizards and yin yangs and like, people who don't speak English. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and then he like gets some of this brew and brings it back yeah. and starts taking it in the isolation tank and um <laughs> just <laughs> starts physically regressing yes into until he reaches full ape form yeah and runs around wreaking havoc and <laughs> killing an antelope in the zoo and uh then the cops find a passed out William Hurt naked William Hurt next to a dead antelope I have no idea how that didn't they they that they acted like nothing had happened. It's like you know, yeah, he like, committed several crimes and yeah. should be in prison. If a if a well regarded Harvard professor were found naked in a zoo, that would definitely make it on the news. And if like four feet from him was a clearly disemboweled half eaten antelope and there was blood all over this guy, they would like that would <laughs> that wouldn't just be like put a blanket over him, send him home. Right, yeah. They're like, wow, something <laughs> tough really bad happened. <laughs> yeah, right. So, did, did you enjoy how he killed that antelope? He, oh, he threw a rock at it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he threw a rock <laughs> into this crowd of antelopes, and it just it was this kind of quick cut of it hitting one in the face, and it yeah. made this really cartoonish doink noise. Yeah, I remember that. That and made me the laugh. the antelope was, yeah, it was down, and he just started eating it as it was alive. Yeah, I feel like there were several several scenes that seemed like they were trying to recreate 2001 a space odyssey and this this one in particular sort of reminded me of like when in the dawn of man when all of a sudden all these like pigs just start like falling over if you remember because like mm-hmm. the people the mm-hmm. whatever the cave people are killing the pigs um mm-hmm. yeah but this just uh, it just made me laugh yeah it's very absurd very dumb <laughs> how how had you See, Oh, go ahead. Uh, I, uh, 
Yeah, you go ahead. Oh, you can go ahead. You have a good question. No, you go. <laughs> no, you go. Um, I was just going to ask, how how did you hear about this movie? I heard about this movie in a college philosophy class my senior year. It was um, a class about, um, it was called American philosophy. And it was, the whole class was three different uh, pragmatists. Mm. Um, Purse. William James and John Dewey. Oh, nice. And we were studying William James and his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience. Cool. And my teacher was like the archetype of a madman philosophy professor, just like bearded, like sloppy, like a gut. He just kind of paced around like lecturing. <laughs> and then he'd like, he seemed to be in his own world. And then he'd just turn to the class and start screaming things. And... <laughs> just kind of go back to his. Did he just have like LSD lecture. flashbacks? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. He was like unbelievably intelligent, just seemed to know everything. And like wow. I went to his office a few times, and it was that like prototypical office where not only were the bookshelves overflowing with dense tomes, but so was his desk yeah. just stacked with books like he'd have to peer around a stack in order to like look at me in the chair and he william james was his favorite philosopher ever and he loved the varieties of religious experience and so that's like a big part of this movie Mm. is like what william james was talking about william hurt william hurt william hurt (laughs) william hurt you keep calling him William James, but I know you're trying to say William Hurt. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. <laughs> yeah, William Hurt's text, The Varieties of Religious yeah. Experience. <laughs> I'm kidding. Now, now if anyone is listening, they're probably actually very confused. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> but no one is listening, so it's okay. <laughs> there was uh, – he has some quote in that book like – that there exists, like, amidst the baseline consciousness, there exist, like, numerous other states of consciousness that are, like, available at a moment, and no picture of the universe can be complete without taking them into consideration. Um, so, William James took, he was, like, kind of one of the first psychologists to, like, experiment with drugs. Oh, really? He yeah, he took uh, nitrous oxide. Oh, okay. <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> Laudanum isn't that isn't that like an old fashioned like something? I think I don't know, they I've used it like that. okay. Laudanum. Yeah. I I don't know how I know La- that. Huh? The, honestly, that might be what Owen Wilson's character takes in the Royal Tenenbaums. Ah, because he's on drugs a lot in that movie. Okay, that's a movie I ought to revisit. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. I know he did nitrous oxide and I think that was that there wasn't much available at the time, but like his work went on to influence a lot of people who once like psychedelics came Mm. around um, and people like Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, who was, who then became Ram Dass. Oh Um, yeah. He was, uh, they were both Harvard psychiatry professors Uh who got really interested in altered states and started doing experiments with LSD until they got fired. <laughs> and then they started still doing those with people and created a counterculture. Hmm. It's a very, very simple version of that story. But if you want to read the full story, turn to uh, Psychonaut Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. <laughs> he gives all the details. <laughs> 
Um, but that's yeah, that's how I heard about this movie. That teacher showed a clip of altered states in class. Which clip? I was trying to remember that. It had something. It was one clip where William Hurt was rambling about some uh, shit to do with states of consciousness. Man, my favorite when his, my favorite William Hurt ramble is when he's like in the bar with his his friends, and this is like after he's moved on to Harvard. So I think you know what I'm talking about because you're already giggling. Uh, I forget what he says, but he's like, he's like just going crazy. And you can tell his wife's kind of annoyed and people are like, oh, all right, William Hurt. Like we've heard a thousand times from you, but he's like getting drunk and he's like saying this. He's like, and I know there's like, you know, they're out there or something. He just sort of looks up like in the sky. He goes, and I'm going to find the fucker. (laughs) Yeah, what's he even talking about? I, he's, I, it's like he was talking about he knows there's he knows there's like a primordial first existence or something. Like this movie talked yeah. a lot about like first states, almost like Aristotle talks a lot about like first causes and first being and foundational mm. stuff. And this movie talks about mm-hmm. like trying to get back to that first, but it also like it kind of doesn't because it just goes from like human to monkey person to like colors and lava people um (laughs) but it's also like it it, i feel like this something this movie tried to do or tried to imply but i don't know if you can imply this like i wanted i was curious if he was going to sort of tap into this like first primordial memory that he was trying to get at that basically is like every all consciousness now is like an accumulation of because at one point he talked about like i think in that scene when he's like talks about finding the fucker he's like he talks about atoms and molecules, like all atoms that have existed since the beginning of time itself, or even before time technically even existed, like since the very foundation of matter, all those atoms still exist. And so that those atoms must in some way like hold memory and we can tap into that memory. And like, I was like getting really excited to like see that explored more, but then it just sort of like it like went off just on like the becoming a monkey part. Yeah. I feel like the really derails at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was actually getting <laughs> really excited about that. And I was curious, like, is that a line of thought? Like, is there thought? Cause I don't really know much about like the collective unconscious, but I know that's something that you know about. And I was like, it- Oh, you know about it. It's in your psyche too. <laughs> <laughs> let me just, let me just become young real quick. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I was wondering if there is like a line of thought that has to do with atoms and molecules. Like, hmm. is there, are you aware of any, any belief system or any line of thinking that says like <clears throat> atoms have this like memory, so to speak, that they've been collecting over billions of years? It sounds familiar, but I, I can't think of anything. Cause, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be like quantum physicists or people who uh, read a book of quantum physics <laughs> saying that. <laughs> <laughs> or even like, because didn't they figure out in quantum physics that one atom can exist in the same spot at, in two different spots at the same time or something like that? Have you ever heard that? Something really, yeah, it can be like a wave and a p- point oh, at yeah. the same time. Yeah, it could, yeah. Yeah, something, something like that. I, I, don't understand it at all because that's where i thought this was going a little bit and i was like oh that's amazing yeah this there's a lot of really cool directions this could have gone 
and it said it turns into <laughs> ape man like running around town like eating antelope and swinging off stuff and yeah and just sort of being an absent an absent husband like sort of emotionally distant yeah. husband yeah yeah <laughs> um although i will say without this movie we probably <laughs> never could have had avatar you know hmm. because we have like the ava- this movie very much has like a fluid sense of what the body is or what the body can be. Like you can switch the, the the mental state and the physical state can change. And so an avatar uh, with Sam Worthington, <laughs> who, by the way, wears he. <laughs> um, yeah. That one has one where the mind almost transfers and it's like a it's like a slight transfer. It's like a, it's like a it's like a temporary physical and altered state yeah and it's like into higher levels of like potentiality yeah the matrix too (laughs) yeah for sure yeah um but all that is to say i just wanted to bring up avatar because i was talking with someone recently about how james cameron every once in a while he's like we're doing it we're making more and i'm like no one cares like we are so (laughs) it's been been so long so long (laughs) <laughs> yeah he announced like two and three i think maybe even before one came out <laughs> and they've just like been there as like things he says are happening wow yeah yeah i don't think we need another avatar no but i think disney owns them now oh really yeah they own like avatar land really in, like, disney theme park yeah there's a oh. whole avatar land i did not know that Somehow they like don't fully own James Cameron, but they own Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jeff Bezos is trying to own James Cameron. It's quite possible. Hey, do you know that yeah. um, a lot of analysts think that Amazon is going to buy the WWE? Really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> wow i I really appreciate that your that your response was just the question why and not amazement. <laughs> Um, that's baffling I don't know why I don't know why analysts think that no I do a little bit know why (laughs) analysts yeah just this group of people sitting in a room um, analyzing yeah (laughs) that's the sound they make Uh, I think they've been watching Amazon as it purchases up different forms of media and they must have figured out an algorithm where it's like Amazon buys something that's recognizable but different from anything else it owns and so it's like the WWE has this like huge fan base, you know, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just laugh at the idea that potentially WWE and Whole Foods could be owned by the same parent company. Like that kind of cracks me up. <laughs> so they would then like, would they be, uh, would they own McMahon? I wonder. Vince McMahon. I can't. Cause yeah. you know, he, he just started like the XFL XFL again. <laughs> so would Amazon then own the XFL as well? I wonder. That's a good question. <laughs> Some stake. I like how you, you keep referring to these companies as owning people. <laughs> it's not like they would own everything James Cameron makes or like own everything like Vince McMahon owns, but it's just they would own them. <laughs> just own that human. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a product. <laughs> yeah. Very, uh, very Marxian. Yeah, it is very Marxian. <clears throat> yeah. 
Um, can I share a, a brief, maybe not so brief, but I think interesting tidbit of history connected to this movie? Please. Um, float tanks mm, are yeah. pretty popular these days. Um, largely because of Joe Rogan. Oh, really? <laughs> Rogan Joe. Rogan Joe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who talks about floating and has a float tank and apparently does it all the time. Um, he owns his own. <laughs> he owns his own. Yeah. <laughs> he, so he podcasts for eight hours a day, float tanks for 12 hours a day, hunts for and eight. And trains for 14. <laughs> yeah. Hunts for eight. And then announces UFC for the rest. Yeah. And then has a one stand-up tour a night. A night, <laughs> one tour a night. <laughs> yeah, fifty, 50 so city tour every night. Yeah, <laughs> the float tank has opened this potential. <laughs> yeah, he has somehow tapped into time in a different way. <laughs> right. Yeah, he became a clay man, and <laughs> but so they were invented in like night the nineteen fifties, think by a man named John Lilly, mm. and. This is a very strange man. Wow. He, he himself is one of the strangest rabbit holes I think I've ever discovered. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'm only at the surface. Like, I, I don't know how far I want to go down that rabbit hole because it's really weird. But he was really interested in consciousness. And so he invented the float tank to try to reduce all sensory input to just have an experience of pure consciousness. And... He started getting into altered states as induced through drugs like LSD and ketamine. And he would have like, he would hook himself up to IVs of ketamine, which is a uh, dissociative anesthetic that has like hallucinogenic properties. Mm. And it's becoming known now because it's being used as a treatment for depression. Oh, okay. Um, in this whole psychedelic renaissance that Pollen talks about. <laughs> um, and, and he would just be in the float tank and basically just get really, really like intoxicated on this drug that would like take him out of his body. And he started talking about some really wild stuff. Wow. Um, and I guess the whole premise of this ape man came from him and his buddy, like his buddy who introduced him to ketamine, someone named Dr. Enright. Um, <laughs> Doc, doctor was his first and, name. Yeah, the doctor was his first name. Went into the tank and had a lot of ketamine. And I actually have a quote um, from an article I found. Um, <clears throat> it says, Enright injected himself with a measurable dose of K and with Lily observing began a strange odyssey into the primal archetype regions of his psyche. Unbeknownst to Dr. Lilly, Enright had reprogrammed himself to return to the pre-hominid origins of man. Enright, in this programmed, altered state, displayed all the typical features, movements, and sounds of an ape man, hopping around in a crouching position, grunting, growling, ranting and howling, gesticulating and shaking frantically his arms. While all of this high weirdness was going on, Lilly assumed that Enright was having some sort of seizure. Though in close proximity with each other throughout the entire experience, the separate realities there experiencing was of entirely different natures and Wright's reality consisted of a confrontation with a leopard which he drove away with all his arms failing grunting and wild gesticulations finally Enright climbed up into a tree that lily couldn't see and stared down at his friend and colleague from the branches above 
Wow. <laughs> then I found I found an interview with John Lilly where he recounted this. And <laughs> his end of the story was that um, apparently after the guy shared that he was trying to scare away a leopard, John Lilly said, if you do that again, I'll kick you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> what a soft threat. <laughs> yeah, soft threat. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's apparently where that came oh, that's, from. Oh, that's totally um, the movie. Like an actual... Yeah. Yeah, it's totally the movie. That's amazing. It's it's all like they were in this interview asking John Lilly what he thought of the movie. It like comes from his <laughs> weird research wow. and doing all these drugs and exploring consciousness and then he he started getting really really out there and um here's another quote I found. Uh during his sessions Lilly came to believe that he was being contacted by an organic extraterrestrial entity called the Earth Coincidence Control Office. Echo, E-C-C-O. The alien group was benevolent, omniscient, and in control of all earthly matters, except for when they weren't quite so friendly as this experience that Lily recounts. And I'll just oh share God. that. <clears throat> that evening, I took 150 milligrams of ketamine, and suddenly the Earth Coincidence Control Office removed my penis and handed it to oh me. I screamed in terror. <laughs> my wife, Tony, came rushing in from the bedroom, and she said... It's still attached. So I shouted at the ceiling, Who's in charge up there? A bunch of crazy kids? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So that's this that's the man we're dealing with. <laughs> that's hilarious. And he went on for maybe a potential Jaws connection. Um <laughs> but he went on to research dolphins and was trying to learn about dolphin consciousness and create uh, like communicate oh with dolphins God. like find a way for humans and dolphins to communicate with one another and um apparently some really really weird stuff oh my god that makes me feel so odd and this yeah it's it's odd it's it's and it gets odder the more you read about it and then it turns out there was a whole US Navy program that's come from this really that involves like weaponizing dolphins wow. <laughs> it's like the u.s naval mammal something like it it does exist wow. and apparently still does so that's a that's a little bit of backstory as to what's happening in this that's movie. so crazy i feel like some of that yeah. stuff i've actually heard before i feel like i must have learned about this guy at one point in time um or the name Alan Watts is coming to mind. Is that a guy who kind of was involved in some mm. of this stuff too? Yeah, he's. I don't know if what his relationship with John Lilly was, but he was at the same time okay. involved in like exploration of consciousness, and he was kind of like a Zen guy That's who right. gave a lot of like lectures on radio programs. And yeah, yeah, there, he's some. He's got to be involved because I worked at a float center in Kansas mm -hmm. City, and one guy who worked there only talked about alan watts like <laughs> literally he just could not talk the about only person <laughs> yeah it's, it seemed that way sometimes just like well alan watts said <laughs> yeah we've all we've all known that person who just can only can only talk about one topic <laughs> it's like all right buddy choose a different topic like william hurt in this movie. <laughs> yes william william hurt big time yeah and quint talking about shocked quint <laughs> I love it. They both shock. It's it's interesting, like because I've always I've always seen Quint as having a, a very lovely Freudian death wish. Um, like he almost when he's getting eaten by Bruce the shark, 
I, in my mind, <laughs> you know, he's experiencing pain. His his body is literally getting chomped on by a giant shark. But in my mind, yeah, I watch that with kind of the hermeneutic that uh, he is actually enjoying it. He has actually he's fulfilled now. Yeah, he's going to be eaten by the shark. Right. Yeah, it's like that's that's what he wanted. Yeah. Right? Like when Brody was trying to save them, he just smashed the radio yeah. with his with his bat. Like he was basically <laughs> like, This is a death mission. We're not getting out alive and you're going down with me. Like <laughs> It's so great. That he is one of my favorite characters in all of movie history. He is so great. He's incredible. <laughs> he's he's truly one of the best. He is. <laughs> um but I was trying to see if William Hurt has like almost an opposite sort of – he doesn't really have a death wish. I don't really know what to describe his his obsession as in terms of like deeper terms or yeah. anything. Hmm. It seems as a death wish component. Like he doesn't seem to care if you would die. Like everyone's That's true. Like, like that. There's, a, there's the Hooper guy and then there's another scientist <laughs> just, who also looks like yeah, Hooper. Who just, only, he has a southern accent and all he does is yell. He, he only yells and he only says that whatever they're doing is stupid. Yeah. And if he's not doing that, he's talking about the things that he's published and like why he's important. He's a very kind of annoying person. He would be an annoying person to know. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of pops in like yeah. halfway through the movie. Stop and then doing this. Go I'm chief resident of psychiatry. <laughs> I published this. Quit it. I thought that all that isolation t- tank stuff went out of, in the 60s with Timothy Leary and all those other gurus. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember why I brought that guy up, but <laughs> he, he sucks. It seems like all this, like this, because a, a movie that I never saw, but I was always interested in the topic was The Men Who Stare at Goats. Mm. And like all this mm. sort of like, it seems like there was like a, it seems like the like 50s through like maybe part of the 70s was this like really interesting time in the world where it was like, wow, we might – we are really coming to know so much more about consciousness. And like there was a lot of interesting – I know acad- uh, like academic research happening at the time that was like both in terms of like history and anthropology and psychology and like all this stuff that was like helping us realize that – all these years we thought we knew everything and now we don't. And so there seems to be just like an open open road of things we could learn. And it seems like one branch of that was people who are really interested in consciousness and this idea of like, what can the brain perceive? Where can the brain go or the mind? Like, can people communicate? Can people tell the future or break stuff with their minds? And then it seems like 1980 happened and it was like, and we're done. <laughs> it's like, I feel mm, like it took yeah. a really drastic drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, like, in fact, this movie came around in 1980, yep. and it was probably on like the tail end of interest. Yes, exactly. And stuff, and then yeah, then things just kind of became the 80s. Yeah, like I mean, there's still certainly neuro research and stuff like that going on, and plenty of things trying to understand like the pharmaceutical qualities of like different drugs. But like the idea that we don't really have any like prominent person. I don't know. Maybe these these psychonauts uh, like like pollen are are the new versions, but. <laughs> We don't really have, yeah, you know, totally. like, no one's going around today being like, yeah, like earth is controlled by this, like little, these little green men that we can communicate with. And when you do this drug and you do this drug on opposite sides of the world, you can actually meet each other in the, in the trip, you know, like, cause I feel like that's yeah, stuff these people were saying, but I, you don't hear that stuff anymore. Yeah. Things just like, it, it seems like, you know, these psychedelics kind of entered the culture and, you know, in the sixties and, 
70s even and there's it just like kept going further and further out there but i think there's a direct parallel with like the uh, government backlash Mm. and like the government shut down all research like they turned all these substances into schedule one Uh. and um basically just banned any possibility of researching and um it wasn't until like after 2000 that like the first um like academic research into a psychedelic drug happened again. So it was like decades that nothing happened. Like it just couldn't. And then this guy started researching uh, DMT, Ah. which Joe Rogan also likes a lot. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dimethyltryptamine, which is mentioned in this movie. Okay. Um, So I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's cultural, but it's interesting to notice that parallel. And then, like, since that, like, in real soon after 2000, there's just been this, like, gradual opening of research. And now, like, it's not far out like that. Like, let's give these drugs to people and see if they can communicate across space-time. Uh-huh. But, like, there's a, there's a lot of research happening, mostly it seems to do with, like, therapeutic yeah. potential of altered states. Yeah, that's what I – that's what I've heard because I remember – like even years ago when salvia was legal. Um, <laughs> salvia. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's that's so funny. And uh, you're like the third person in like the past week I've talked with about salvia actually. Um, but it was legal. You could just buy it. And I remember it was becoming illegal and it was getting the same drug classification as heroin. And a lot of people were like, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not good. And you certainly don't want someone to do salvia and then drive. But like, I think there's a, there's a big difference between something that makes someone laugh for five minutes and heroin, which is like, if you get the dosage even slightly wrong, like it's lethal. Um, but so anyway, a lot of psychologists apparently were like, no, like, please don't illegalize salvia because we actually think it, we're trying to figure out like what it does to the brain and how it has this, odd impact where it you know, like helps people or whatever it does. It, uh, I think some psychologists thought that it maybe tapped into it sort of like bypassed your conscious state and tapped into your subconscious mm. very quickly. So they were trying to figure mm. that out in terms of like therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems to be like the general narrative with like all these different substances that are coming out of the shadow, mm-hmm. um, that they, to use Freud's terms, make the unconscious conscious. Ah, he used a, yeah. a Jungian term followed by Freud. The shadow, yeah, yeah. the shadow, yeah. The shadow, yeah. Now, we now all know give... Jung could never escape Freud's shadow. <laughs> no, he cannot. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a famous psychonaut named Stanislav Grof. Wow, who, he um, sounds gruff. He's gruff. He's uh, from the. He's Czechoslovakian. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, great accent. He's um, about 90 years old mm-hmm. and still speaks with great sharpness. And he uh, he did a lot of research in the 70s with LSD psychotherapy. And um, he has a famous quote that said, uh, something along the lines of psychedelics will be to the study of the mind what the microscope was for biology and the telescope was for astronomy. Oh, interesting. It's quoted a lot. Yeah, yeah. that seems that seems to be a easily digestible but equally as profound quote, you know. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem yeah. so trite. Mhm. Yeah, he's a he's a wise man and like 
you know, even outside of like psychedelic conversations and cultures, he's had like a pretty broad impact on psychology in general. And like, is he's pretty brilliant dude. Hmm. It's pretty crazy. The stuff that he's talked about and he's written dozens of books. It's interesting. It almost seems like, cause I feel like when, um, well, I was going to say, it kind of seems like maybe the, the research is still as sort of in some ways profound or amazing as like some of the stuff happening like 40 or 50 years ago. But nowadays, maybe people just seem like more tame or, or maybe society doesn't seem so rigid that in order to be different, you have to be very different because I feel like the people mm. who were doing <laughs> psychedelic research in like the seventies and sixties and fifties, they were people who were like, like they, like you wouldn't have known anyone else in the world like them. It's like live in a van or, you know, like, you're like uh, Ken Kesey, right? Didn't he like drive around his, his, yeah, his, his merry prankster bus. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like no one's doing that today, you know, like, but at the time that was, pro- I wonder if that was inspired by like, the rebellion against the sort of stiff upper lip 1950s America that they were kind of all rebelling mm-hmm. against. Yeah. There's such a like cultural point place and time quality yeah. to all that. And like just the stark contrast between, yeah, the strict fifties university and then these substances that are making people wear all these colors and sing these songs <laughs> and go around barefoot and smell bad and like <laughs> protest the war. And yeah. Um, there's there's also a lot of fear now with like like there's a ton of research going on it's pretty mind blowing like in a lot of different countries um but people are doing it really like kind of tightly because people are freaked out that that would happen again that like uh, there'd be another backlash and like all this movement to use these substances for like medicinal therapeutic purposes which like you know some of the data they're finding is pretty you know, astounding and literally every publication has something about it now. Like it's all over the place. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there's this weird fear, like where all these people are talking about research and doing it, but no one's actually talking about just doing these things, which like doing these drugs recreationally, like there's this sense like, well, that's still bad. Even though Uh, like, it's like, well, you definitely have done that if you're interested in researching it. So (laughs) interesting. it's just, it's yeah, it's in a funky place um but there are some dedicated psychonauts who are (laughs) doing some pretty wild stuff (laughs) i see pollen being one of them pollen pollen being one of them i saw pollen speak in denver ah denver yeah and he was he told him the crowd that he was a reluctant psychonaut and admitted that there were several other psychonauts (laughs) in the room with far more experience than him. Uh, that seems like a <laughs> humble brag to me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a humble He's brag. trying to tell everyone how cool he is and how much he knows about drugs while at the same time acting like, oh, I'm not actually that. It's not like yeah. I know a lot about this really specific drug that I totally am on right now. Aren't I cool? <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know anything about Michael Pollan, but as you said, he's a he's a bit of a social, social pariah, and those are always fun to sort of poke fun at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's there's just this one bit of research that I want to share with you mm-hmm. real quick that's apparently happening. I don't know. It's very strange, but this substance DMT yeah. is, um, I've never tried it, but it apparently like the way people talk about it is like they talk about traveling into other dimensions, communicating with 
alien entities and like basically going to common places like multiple people who do this substance will talk about like landmarks and places that they've seen in these other worlds yeah i've heard Um, this yeah it's 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 pretty wild hearing people talk about it there's a commonality to the experience but it's really fast acting like it you apparently smoke it and just blast off into this other dimension and it lasts for like 10 minutes 20 minutes tops like less maybe but they say it feels like way longer. And there's people who are some of the most extreme psychonauts I think I've heard of who are trying to do this experiment where they find a way to hook people up to like IVs to... Inception. (laughs) Inception. (laughs) Yeah, to continuously supply the right amount of DMT to where they can stay in this state for hours and hours. Oh my God. And... Be, literally be astronauts exploring this other dimensional territory. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is, um, funnily enough, this is happening and it is something that Alan, Alex Jones talks about. Yes. And it's one thing he talks about that is actually happening. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I know he, like, he talks about like the, the, the lizard people, right. Or like the aliens are actually in control. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he does. And like, he has wild interpretations of everything. He he totally does. I don't I don't know how anyone could stand being around him. Um, he's sort of one of those people where it's like, dude, can we just like talk about the weather, like or like the food? Like, can we make small talk? Because God, you need to. <laughs> I get you're interested in this, but you need to find a new topic. Uh, <laughs> but is that the one where I feel like I've heard this before? People talk about going there and meeting other people and then recounting it. And they have like common experience. Yeah, I think so. Where they're like, they like, people will literally go there and meet and they'll mm-hmm. talk about something. And then afterward they'll be like, what did we talk about? And they're like, Oh, we talked about this. And like, yeah, apparently that's what these psychonauts want to do. Like they'll meet at a certain place and go yeah. explore <laughs> together. I had heard something one time that there was some, anecdotal story i don't i don't know if this is in any way true but it had to of course when it comes to consciousness like if all else fails bring up buddhist monks um but they talk i heard something about like these buddhist monks who would dream and in the dreams they would they would meet up with each other or something like that I heard that too. yeah oh, maybe you told me about it actually maybe but i'd like to think you heard about it elsewhere yeah maybe we maybe we both talked about that in a dream <laughs> one night right. to each other that's right yeah yeah it's called uh Dream yoga. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, listener, you can uh, you can Google that, and that's an actual thing in Tibetan Buddhism. Wow. Yeah. It's, it sounds really interesting. It's, like, it's, I think, the same thing as lucid dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Waking life. Waking life, yeah. yeah your favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Child, I hate that movie. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You, you know that's a joke, but... <laughs> That's one of our most consistent inside jokes. Yeah, right. It's like probably going on like 10 years now. Yeah, probably about 10 years. That's when I was really into that movie. <laughs> I just loved it because I was just, I was confused. I had no idea what we were watching and I was, I was really confused about the animation. Oh yeah. Like I, I just, like I really wanted to know like were people filmed and then animated or is this all animated? <laughs> and I couldn't quite get it across. And I remember you thought that my questions were like, it was my way of saying I didn't like this movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. 
Of course, I took it very personally. (laughs) (laughs) And we know Jones, Alex Jones is in that movie. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Screaming. That was sort of when he was still just like a screamer and not like a... Now he is just like every conspiracy he can get his hands on. (laughs) Yeah. It just goes and goes. Like Mm -hmm. Q. Yeah, Q. Q, man. Hmm. That's disturbing stuff. <laughs> I have You don't want to go there. That that's that's interesting. I remember you texting me the other day, you're like, I am I am in a Q rabbit hole right now. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure how it happened. I think I just listener, if you're not aware of this, there's something called QAnon, which is like a far right conspiracy theory of the last couple of years. And I think I just hadn't heard about it in a while, so I just Googled it just to see like if this was still a thing. And yeah, next thing I knew, I was seeing these like articles on obscure websites talking about Mel Gibson saying that Hollywood feasts on the blood of children. Oh my God. And Keanu Reeves confirming it. And like none of them had legitimate sources, but they were like, they deleted the sources. <laughs> and like... This happened. There was just like no way to find anything. And like, ah, uh, it was just like really disturbing. Yeah. yeah. And people are really into that. People are really into that. Yeah. And like <laughs> Trump has essentially validated it multiple times. Yeah. Like including inviting top level Q anon conspiracy theorists to the White House because they the seem I think the core of the conspiracy is that the world including Hollywood is run by a pedophile ring and Donald Trump has been appointed president to expose it. Oh yeah. So he's like the hero yeah, against right. Q which is run by Spielberg and Hanks. Oh, is that true? That's that's really what they I don't know if they run it but they're prominent figures in this. I didn't know that part. Conspiracy ring. Hmm. Yeah, that's really what they say. And that's yeah, probably why... Including, like... Yeah. What's that? Because they're so high-ranking. Like, I can imagine that the justification yeah. is that's why those guys haven't been brought down. And that's why they're seen as, like, the most wholesome guys in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was... Yeah, it's, it's weird the way these people, like, put things together. Like... Yeah. There was this strange thing I came upon where some actor a really low level actor who was in like thor ragnarok and like a side role his name was cappy isaac cappy Hmm. he like had this long video that he posted where he's talking about this stuff and like saying it's all real and you know he's talking about q and a couple months later he committed suicide Uh, mm -hmm. and the interpretation all these people is that he was murdered yeah by tom hanks wow by tom hanks and they they found like some picture tom hanks posted on instagram of like a glove a rubber glove found on route 66 and made some really big leap saying that that was him admitting that he killed this guy wow it was like whoa yeah the leaps in logic are what really kind of get me and they like, yeah, because yeah. there's no way to convince them otherwise. Exactly. It's just like everything is confirmation of something mm-hmm. they already believe. Yeah. 
crazy. Yeah. So I can sit back and like laugh at Alex Jones, but at the same time, like my brother Connor makes a good point where he's like, yeah, but he's a piece of shit because he's giving yeah. all of these people more like he's just taking them further down into like dangerous mental apoph- space. Apophenia. What's that? Apophenia. What is that? It's a word I just, I learned about, I think through all this and it's like seeing patterns in things when they aren't there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Psychological term. It's some, it's definitely connected to schizophrenia. That's a, that's a good word to know. Apophenia. Yeah. I really like that word. I was thinking of changing the name of my book that I'll probably never finish to that. Ah, that's cool big theme it sits on the same themes even as the current title because the current title is still the echo chamber or the echo chambers mm. yeah echo chamber yeah I got it nice mm-hmm. yeah same uh definitely there's some similarity going on there that's cool yeah <laughs> <sighs> well i figured that hurt would bring us down some rabbit holes yeah 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 hurt always does uh good to know that that was his first <laughs> every single time we talk about hurt we <laughs> you know that song by johnny cash i hurt myself today i i want to i want to get a version of that song and just edit the name john right before he says hurt every single time ah uh, john hurt myself <laughs> Not William, just John. Oh, John, I forgot. John Hurt's a different actor. That's right. He's the elephant man. He is the elephant man. (laughs) You're not an elephant man. You're Romeo. That's a line from the movie. That slurping sound. Yeah, That was one of my favorite movies to show the students. I showed that to my students. Really? Too. They would always get very uncomfortable. They would get so <laughs> uncomfortable. They would like be squirming. Yeah. <laughs> you can always count on David Lynch to do that. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah. I want to like yeah. write him a letter and thank him for making a movie that would, that is like palatable enough to show high school students. Um, yeah. It's so uncomfortable. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, somehow with that movie, Lynch found a way to mainstream himself. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, still very hard to endure. Yeah, I mean. Even even with Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that, that movie is so good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, d- I did feel there was a connection between the last conversation we had about Hurt and this, which was in Into the Wild when he screams, Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm God. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it feels like uh, this is uh, he's trying to become he's God-like trying to become godlike. In this movie, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just always what William Hurt's downfall is trying to be God. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know much about him, but I've I've heard he's kind of arrogant. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if I didn't know that, I would I would guess that because. I'm sure he's a good actor and I've heard he's a good actor because everyone tells me that he is. But I mean, I've, n- I've never seen him play two characters that are even remotely different. Like he, he he's yeah. always like a soft spoken, articulate, deep thinking, calm guy. <laughs> you know, like who's yeah. also arrogant. He, yeah. He always plays every character he plays is like 
so so incredibly arrogant yeah even in uh history of violence have you seen that one history of violence with yes mortensen yes he plays the older brother yeah uh yeah that's like his most active role i've ever seen him play and even in that he's just kind of the same guy (laughs) you could Mm -hmm. what what can i do what can i do i yeah yeah, i'll tell you what you can do joey you can die (laughs) and then mortensen puts up his thumbs protects his neck runs out kills her kills her yeah it's a good movie that it is a good movie i love david cronenberg um yeah you mentioned the fly earlier yeah the fly <laughs> goldblum 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 becomes a fly throughout that movie right yes he does hmm. i love i just i need to rewatch that movie because i've been thinking of some things recently that have like a, a similar theme um as metamorphosis that metamorphosis exactly which i've never read but mm. I've, I've always wanted to yeah what what have you been thinking of that has a similar theme other than team wolf <laughs> yeah uh other than extras flashing their penis <laughs> um i just think that it's that whole concept of a human becoming more and more animal-like is like really funny and grotesque and hilarious <laughs> yeah and I, I, I sort of like I've been playing around with the idea of like writing something along those lines, but where like no one really seems to notice and someone is just becoming more and more hideously grotesque <laughs> and everyone just treats them like completely normal. Because <laughs> in the fly, by the end of the fly, he is so hideous. <laughs> I really like that concept. Yeah. You think like a short story or like a short film or a full <laughs> feature length? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a three-part, three-hour series. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, something about it just really makes me laugh. Yeah. Have you heard of the author Herman Hesse or Herman Hess? Yes, he wrote some really famous sci-fi novel, right? He, yeah, he's written, I, I guess it's sci-fi. He wrote a book called Steppenwolf. Oh, okay. Which is where the band got their name. Oh, um, okay. And it's like... A, kind of it's really weird and abstract hmm. but it's like a man kind of metamorphosizing into like a wolf animal nature he's like really nietzsche influenced i um, see it's, it's got yeah some kind of animal man ubermensch thing going on um he wrote a book called siddhartha maybe that's where i've heard, heard of him of, yeah 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 he's got some good stuff that's cool yeah, yeah i've actually wanted to read siddhartha before but i yeah maybe i'll put that on my list yeah. Well, you got to hey. learn to read first. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once I learn how to read, then I'll then I'll start with some uh, Shel Silverstein poems. <laughs> it's always a good starting point. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of Siddhartha, um, the next unit that I'm teaching my students in in the world religions class I teach is. Buddhism. And mm. the first thing, I think you're going to really like this. The first thing I'm going to do is very first activity, very first day of Buddhism. I'm going to tell the students to kind of get up in like two lines facing each other. I'm going to say, okay, so we're facing each other right now. Every time I ring the bell, I want you to shift down so that you're now facing the next person. And we're just going to kind of keep doing this until you kind of circle back. And by the end of this, you have been across from every single other person in the classroom. And I'm like, let's try that, blah, 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 we'll try it. And 
um, I'll just be like, okay, it makes sense for everyone. Like, yeah. And they'll probably be like, what are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say, okay, great. Here's what we're going to (laughs) do. I want you all without laughing or without shaking or making any noises to stare at each other in the eyes until I ring the bell. Go. (laughs) I'm going to have them stare at each other in the eyes and I'm going to keep it. I'll probably ring the bell every 30 seconds (laughs) or something like that. So maybe even like I could technically even go like a whole minute and still have plenty of time, but <laughs> and it's just going to really make them very uncomfortable. But the reason why yeah. I'm doing it at the top of this unit is because I'm like, I just sort of want to drive home the point of like, why do we feel uncomfortable when people look at us sometimes? And it's probably because we don't know ourselves and we are like really uncomfortable with someone maybe knowing us better than we know ourselves. And I think that's mm-hmm. why a lot of people struggle sometimes with like intense eye contact or on the flip side, People feel a sense of liberation in eye contact a lot of times. Um, like that. Have you ever heard that thing about like these these questions and like staring at someone in the eyes for four minutes? You ever heard about that? Um, I don't think so. I'll send you this article, but there's some research about a disproportionate amount of people when they stare at each other in the eyes for four minutes end up falling in love. Hmm. Yeah. Just four minutes straight. Yeah, like it's sort of like not just like out of nowhere, but like following upon these like intimate questions. And then like the the staring in the eye apparently builds a sense of like community. I don't really know how to describe it, but there's there's definitely something to that. Yeah. One of my classes, um, our teacher had us sit across from each other, like just paired up with someone in the classroom and stare silently at each other's eyes and try not to look away for probably several minutes. And wow. I got paired with this dude. And like, ever since that, like, I feel like we're friends. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's, there's something unique about my relationship with that guy because of that. That's amazing. Yeah. It was just a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. You're going to make them uncomfortable like that. I know. Yeah. There's a lot of learning and discomfort. Exactly. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Spoken like a true stoic. <laughs> that's, all that's comes back kind around. Of, yeah, it all comes back around. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, I wanted to ask you about the red man, but I feel like it would be a little... Um, little extra at this point it's not connected to anything i just wanted to hear you talk about yeah well can you see this pen yeah he's that red you know are you looking at your are you looking at your garage band recorder yeah uh you know how like it's like red Uh he's like literally that red yeah listener who's not listening uh matt texted me (laughs) one day and said something along the lines of like i'm I'm at the gym and i am looking at the reddest man i've ever seen (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's it constantly shocks me because this guy like i've seen him come into the gym before like i figured he was that red from like having squatted for an hour before I got there. But one time I saw him come into the gym and he was like already really red. And I'm just like, he, he's, he, everyone there knows him. And I'm just like, if, if, if he were there by himself and he were that red, I would, 
I think I would go up to him and I'd be like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> because I don't want this guy. I don't know what, what's, what's the deal. Like maybe he's just always naturally been very, very red. Um, or maybe again, I just catch him like at the end of a very long run or something, but it's, it's just really, it's, it's kind of shocks me. And like, I get this bizarre feeling of like, of like amusement, but like also fear that like everything's not okay. But then he seems perfectly healthy. He's at the gym for hours. No big deal. He seems healthy. Yeah, he seems totally healthy. He's very strong. <laughs> um, he chats with his friends. He has a lot of energy. It's just, it shocks me. <laughs> I was really glad that you were able to find a, a image of him on your, yeah. your Jim's Instagram stories. I could see that you weren't exaggerating. He's, I, yeah. <laughs> he was also bald, right? Yeah, he's bald. And his mm-hmm. whole head is very red. His whole, yes. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he takes That's... niacin. What is that? It's a supplement that um, uh, makes people really flush. And really? It apparently increases blood flow. And um, mm. I took it once and I became very red. Really? Yeah, it was the reddest I've ever been. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it only lasted for 10 to 15 minutes. So if he's this red all the time, it's mm. got to be something else. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> but then the interesting thing is I then... Because I was curious about this, I I looked at his Instagram uh, page, and none of his pictures show him red. Whoa! Yeah, so I it, uh, I'm wondering if it is kind of localized to the gym, or maybe he's really ashamed of his redness and he finds a filter that masks it. That could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe it is something he takes right before he goes into the gym. I don't know. I hope that you see him just randomly out somewhere in Chicago and yeah, that he's, he's equally he's red. He's blue. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> That would be great. Every day he's just a different color. Or every like hour of the day. Purple. Yeah. Green man. He's he's basically like he is to he is to faces as uh, never mind. I was trying to compare it to the space trip in 2001 to Space Odyssey with all the colors. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, I um, it's it's one of those really tight knit close gyms that like in certain moments I love it because it's like just kind of grungy and just sort of like a like a little community. And then other times I hate it because I'm like, dudes, like I know this is like a little local gym, but there are some rules you have to follow. Like, why the fuck are you eating your dinner in here? Like, and it's not even like, oh, I need to eat before I work out. It's like a dude worked out and then he sat there for 30 minutes and ate his dinner and then left. I'm like, just go to your house or wherever. Like, and then other people, they just like leave shit everywhere and it's just probably dirty as hell. Is this gym like near your home? Yeah. Because it seems like a unique gym. Yeah. It's very close to me. So like, that's why I belong there. Like okay. I can walk there and it's really close. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm really glad that you do belong there because I get I get all the updates and they always yeah. make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I will. Gym I'll send culture. you more. It's yeah, an, I, it's an interesting I think we culture. do a full full snob just about gym culture. Ah, I totally agree. It's an odd, it's an odd thing. <laughs> all right. Oh man, well, this one uh, this one brought, brought to, to explosion. explosion. Yep. 
Good. Well, yep. I'd like to thank Deobia, our listener, and uh, Elon Musk, our other listener. <laughs> yep. And the NSA, our final yeah, listener. Our final listener, of course. <laughs> yeah. The only one listening live. <laughs> yeah, not even we are listening live. <laughs> they're they're liver than we are. <laughs> they're liver than O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's the livest. Oh, yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank you, listener. And um, <laughs> live strong. <laughs> live strong. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye.